and 10.30 will be our grand opening at 1711 Orange Boulevard. Amen. Give God a glad, big hand. Hey, um, when you came in, and I know you got a lot going on there, ice cream, are they bringing the cups to pick up the empty cups? You guys, you have buckets for the empty cups? You pick, waiting for them to, are you guys still eating? I just set mine down because I'm supposed to preach. And we're just trying to work out the timing on this whole thing here. You can just stay seated, and I'll read the scripture to you this morning, Joshua chapter 4. Last week, I read Joshua chapter 3, and we talked about crossing over. And it's a powerful story. It's a powerful story of the promise of God being fulfilled in the life of the children of Israel. And how God worked a miraculous miracle, one of the great miracles of the Old Testament, that two and a half million people crossed the Jordan. Think about it. Think about Lake Jessup, or the St. John's River, someplace over here, you know, going up towards the Atlantic Ocean, just all of a sudden drying up, and there's two and a half people sitting on the shoreline, and they walk across on dry ground. I mean, that's a miracle. That's supernatural. And, 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 you know, this story is so impactful in the history of the life of the church, that not the life of the church, but in the nation of Israel, that God sought fit to recount this story two times. Two times within just a very short period of time. It just, it's a reiteration of what God wants to do in people's lives. And in Joshua chapter 4, we're going to talk about the stones of remembrance. The stones of remembrance. And when you came in today, everyone should have got a little rock like this, all right? How many of you did not get a rock this morning? Anybody didn't get a rock? Oh my goodness, a bunch of people. We're going to have double duty on the ushers. Hey, uh, Keith, can you jump up real quick? The ushers are going to need... If you did not get a rock like this, just keep your hand up. These guys are going to... I need someone else... All right, someone else jump up quick and help me pass out rocks. We got rocks. Throw a rock at them. Everyone needs to get a rock. I want everyone to have a rock. I want to talk to you this morning about the stones of remembrance. I don't want you to forget this stone today. I want you to forget this this morning. Joshua chapter 4, beginning with verse number 1. And the Bible says, When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priests are standing, and carry them there over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites." To serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off from the, from the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial. Everyone say memorial to the people of Israel forever. 
verse number 8. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the camp where they had put them down. And Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests had carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Now the priest who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed them. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priest came to the other side while the people watched. I want you to look at verse number 24. And the Bible says, For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he'd also done at the Red Sea when he dried it up before uh, until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. You know, in our lives, signs... Songs, symbols can elicit emotion. They can. They, uh, n- not all signs. Uh, I, I know I, I've been at a baseball game in Seattle, Washington, when they put out the American flag and somebody sang the Star Spangled Banner. And I remember hearing that person sing with such passion that it just elicited some kind of sense of, uh, of honor and respect and the sense of pride. And the great nation that I've grown up and I love called the United States of America. There are flags right now in our culture and generation that are listening all kinds of emotions. Some negatives. People are polarizing around a flag. I mean, it's just really fascinating to me. You think of a song maybe in your life that resonates that you've heard maybe in the past. And it just takes you back to a spe- specific time. But there are also monuments in our nation. Monuments. Places of memory. You go to Washington, D.C., which is the capital of monuments, and they are everywhere. Now, you can go up and down the eastern shoreboard, and you go all over America, and you can find them, but there's something special about D.C. And I remember at the age of 21, I went to Washington, D.C. for the very first time, and I was looking at all the different monuments, and I, I came to the Vietnam War Memorial. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but this memorial is just striking. It's a black stone at granite wall, and... And on it are the names of 51,000 people that died, American people that died in the Vietnam War. And I remember in the early 80s when I went there, I was just struck with emotion. I could not walk down the sidewalk that kind of made that V on that memorial without just wanting to break out into tears. It was in the early 80s, and there were still a lot of Vietnam vets that were around that time, and and they were all around the memorial, and there were people protesting the United States government. There was all that kind of stuff still going on. And, and I remember that feeling, deep feeling of emotion. Last year, when my son Keenan did an internship with the congressman, my wife and I and Keenan got a little tour, and, and, and we went and seen a lot of different monuments. And one of the monuments that we went to was the Abraham Lincoln Memorial. It's my wife's favorite memorial. And on the north wall, you can read Abraham's second inaugurational address. And he talks about the purpose of America and these United States. And he wrote so eloquently of the founding of this nation. It's very, very powerful. Then on the southern wall of that monument, you'll read his Gettysburg Address. A very short little address that shaped the nation. 
and their view after the Civil War was completed, trying to bring healing to our country that had been so divided and so brutally torn apart by this terrible war. You know, monuments have power. They do have power. And not all monuments, but certain monuments, for some reason, just elicit emotion. And what takes place here in the story of Joshua is that God asked them to build a monument, a stone monument. Now, I've got 12 stones over here. These are Tennessee smooth rock stones. I don't know if they're really Tennessee. That's what they call them at Pebble Junction anyway. And I come to find out that stones in Florida are like gold. Very expensive. <laughs> Tennessee rock stone right here. And these actually have a name. Do you know that? There's actually a name for these kind of rock monuments that people build. They're called carns. You can Google it while I'm talking. And it's an Irish term. It just means piled stones. You can put the picture of that one piled stone that I got there. This is up in the Andriotic Mountains up in upstate New York. And someone made a really cool one there. And you actually can go. There's an actually a Carnes National website or international website. And it's based out of England. And, and uh, they will show you how to make one of these piled up stone monuments. And if you don't know how to do it or can't figure it out, they'll actually fly out to your area and they'll assist you in doing it. I mean, these guys are really into making piled stones. Really cool. I love it. You know, the stone this morning, uh, the stone is significant because God wants to teach us something. God wants us to remember. This stone will be a memorial for all generations. For all your people, forever. You know, as Christians today, there's some things that God wants us to remember. The first thing that God wants us to remember is Him. How about that? Let's just start with that. God wants us to remember Him. Really simple, right? But it's not so simple. Because I don't know about you, but my life gets really hectic and really busy and full of stuff and activity and Right now, we got the two campuses, and we're remodeling that campus, and still trying to drive the future, and direct traffic, and figure out this, and I can get so busy in my life that I forget God. I know you can't believe that, but I mean, I so I got this problem, and that issue, and this complication, and this difficulty, and that, and for just a, a brief moment, and sometimes it lasts longer than it should, I really forget that God is at work in my life. And that's why God told them to build a monument to remember Him. Remember Him. Look at, I want you to see this in verse number 6 this morning. Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Before the ark, the place that represented the presence of God. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Why did God do this? Why does God have significant moments in your life? Because He never wants you to forget who He is. I mean, you can take this story back. You can go way back in the history of this story from God's promise, even all the way back into the garden with Adam and Eve, when God told the woman that, that the seed of her son would crush the head of the serpent. The promises of God, the Bible says, are yes and amen to them that believe. You can fast forward through the story of creation and get to the story of Abram where God makes a promise that he would always be with him. 
The promise of God to Abram that he would make him a great nation. He would bless him and he would multiply and increase in order that he could be a blessing to the whole world. It was a promise that God recounted to Abram four times. I will bless you. I will multiply you. I will make your name great. So that you may be a blessing. And then he gives him a promise. But it's not going to happen right now. You got 400 years. You got a mean time. You know, there's the promise of God that comes in your life. God's going to work in your life. God's going to work it out. God's going to provide. God's going to sustain. God's going to help you in your time of need. But you have this moment of challenge. And then the reality. And for Abram and the children of Israel, it was 400 years. 400 years. 400 years. And in that period, they became slaves to Egypt where they lived in a place of lack, a place of brokenness, a place of pain, a place of suffering. 400 years under the tyranny of cruel taskmasters who made them build these great big pyramids and other structures there in ancient Egypt. 400 years they experienced the pain of not enough. And then God one day shows up to a man by the name of Moses, and he gives him a word. Moses, I want you to take my people out. And Moses, well, I can't, God. And Moses all these excuses, but, but God taps Moses. Moses has an encounter with God, and that encounter with God changes him. A man who had been a murderer now becomes a man with a message. Let my people go. Let them 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 go. No, let him go. No, let him go. And he finally lets him go. This cruel Egyptian pharaoh finally lets enough pressure, enough pressure, he finally surrenders to the will of God. And he lets the people go. And the children begin to leave. They, they begin to head on out of Egypt. And they're throwing stuff at them. And God's blessing them. And they end up in a place called the wilderness. And in that wilderness, that 40-year period, this is where God tested them to see if their hearts would be loyal to him. Forty years of just enough. It was just enough. Just enough grace. Just enough forgiveness. Just enough hope. Just enough provision. It was just enough. But it was always just enough. Just enough. God showed himself as their healer, their provider, their protector, their deliverer over and over and over and even though it was just enough, they would complain and murmur and why. And it was better back in Egypt, God. And, you know, when I was back in the world, at least people liked me. You know, the church, the people, I don't know about that. At least I could enter the bar and people would cry together. And, you know, it, it wasn't all that good, but it was really good. And uh, it really sucked, really. They complained about never having enough. But it was enough. They never, ever, ever, ever had to go find food. It was there every day. Every morning they got up and there was manna right there. And then when the manna wasn't enough for them, God said, okay, I'll give you meat. You want meat? I'll give you meat. And he gave them quail. And they had meat. And God provided enough for them. But God did have a better place. It was a place called Canaan. It was a place of more than enough. More than enough grace. More than enough of his forgiveness. More than enough of his presence. More than enough of his provision. God says, I want you to remember. I want you to remember 
where you've been. I want you to remember where you've been, where you are, and where you're going. God's taking you today. You see, you might have been back here broken and hurt and all kinds of turmoil and despair and hurt and pain and abuse and self-abuse and neglect. And God says, no, I'm going to bring you out of that. I got a grand plan. I got a great plan. I got an awesome story of the mess of your life. It's going to turn into a great message of hope and grace for others. Oh, that test that you went through for 40 years, that struggling, that wrestling with that addiction, that problem, that hurt. I'm going to turn that into a great testimony for my glory. Someone said amen. A powerful motivation of believing God in our present is by remembering what He's done in our past. (laughs) Memories are a funny thing, aren't they? Aren't they? It's funny what you can remember, what you can't seem to remember. About three or four months ago, uh, my wife and I were digging through some old pictures, and my mom was like the pre-creative memory. I mean, she... Invented creative memory. She didn't really, but I mean, she created, you know, she had boxes and all of our stuff and all the little trinkets. And before the days of everybody had a phone on, then my mom was really into photography and taking pictures of the family. And so, like, I mean, for my first birthday, first, second, third, fourth, no kindergarten in my, in my world, right? We just go right to first grade. <laughs> but from first grade, second, third, third grade, all the way up to grades, my mom had a book with pictures in it. And at the front of every single one of those scrapbooks, those picture books, there was a picture of my class, my first grade class, my second grade class. And I'm like looking through there, and I'm like remembering every single person's name. That's like 25 kids. I hadn't seen those people. I mean, I'm 52. I hadn't seen some of those people in 45 years. I'm like, now how does that work? And then I get up, and I start to look for my car keys that I set down just 30 minutes before. I, I can remember 42 years ago where they lived. Where I live, 728 East Beverly Drive, 852649. <laughs> I mean, I could get these numbers. They stick in my head. And I have memories. We have long memories and some things that we shouldn't have. And we have some short memories on some things that we should have. Yeah. We've got some long memories about some abuse and hurt and pain. And God says, I want you to remember me. I am your provider. I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the God who is more than enough. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who is your healer. I am your God who is your rescuer, your deliverer, your savior. I am the God who meets all of your need according to my riches and glory. Oh, God wants you to remember who he is today. I'm looking back over our life. My wife, she encourages the heck out of me. She's just always reading and studying and listening and encouraging. And she walked in this morning and she said, Joe Osteen had such a powerful word. And I said, what was it? He said, don't make the miracles of the past mundane. Listen, you remember that time when God provided a job for you? When you just couldn't figure out how, maybe you didn't even know the Lord yet, but something just kind of like happened. You couldn't even figure it out, but luck just landed on you. No, no, that's not luck. You were destined by God. God was working on your behalf before you even knew him. Before you were even born, God was drawing you to him. His grace and his mercy was made available to you. Don't make the miracles of the past mundane in your life. 
I want to show you a picture. This is, you guys are going to have to help me out here. The first picture, put up the bulletin of our very first service. Can you do that for me? The bulletin. This is the very first city church, April 4th, 1999. And I'm, I'm like, that, to burn that thing. I don't want to, I can't even, it was, I pulled it out. I'm like, did we actually make a bulletin this tacky? But what had happened is we were so busy trying to get the church started, we forgot to make bulletins. You've got to have a bulletin, don't you know, to be a church. <laughs> you have to have announcements. We're a church. <laughs> and we made that Saturday night run down to Kinko's. We're not looking at that thing. And, and you know, the fact is the building that we met in, that old crusty movie theater that had 500 seats on each side of the auditorium, was a miracle. I mean, I'm never going to look back at that time and say, I-, I want you to know today, folks, that wasn't just some ordinary garden variety miracle. That was a supernatural God-ordained moment in my life that I needed. It enabled me to take the next step in Him. Someone said amen. amen. And then I want to show you the picture of our very first worship team. I want you to see how far we've come. you got to turn all the lights off. You guys can hardly see it up there. Turn all the house lights off. Lights on the stage so I can see it up here just for a moment. All right. There are two people on that worship team. My wife, who was also the children's pastor, and a guy who told me who played the keyboard, but it couldn't play a note. <laughs> you turn the lights back on. I want to tell you a miracle. In seven months, in seven months, we went from 11 people from Seattle. We had over 217 people on the third Sunday of January in the year 2000. Come on, give God a great big hand clap. I want you to know today, it's not about bulletins and having all the right information and knowing all the right people and having everything lined up just right in your life. But when God shows up, when you remember His goodness, when you remember what He's done for you in the past, it gives you a great sense of faith and confidence that if God, God did it in my past, God can do it again. When I think about the Lord and what He's done for me, come on, when I think about the Lord and what He's done for me, it makes me want to shout. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, don't forget. Don't forget God. And then I want you to hear this. He says, and I want you to teach the children. The stone of remembrance isn't just for you. (laughs) This faith has got to get passed on to the next generation. It ain't good enough. It's not good enough that your kids know about your grandma's faith. I'm walking the other day through the airport, and I hear these two guys talking. And one guy says, yeah. Well, my grandpa, he, he's a, he was a pastor. My grandma was a pastor. The other guy said, yeah, my, my daddy, he's a deacon in his church. And I'm like, okay. I'm just listening. Like they're talking about the church and their family. But it was someone else's faith. You know what I mean? It wasn't their own revelation. <laughs> the greatest thing. I, I don't know how to express this. My son, my son both my sons, to watch them grow in God. Hi, Caleb. That's my spiritual son there. My real son is down here in the front row. My other son will be your third service. But to see them have their own genuine faith, I don't even, you know, because this is what happens. It's not what I tell my kids, 
but it's what they see you living. Because your kids, someone said, yeah, your kids, they know all your warts, all your bumps, all your, all your broke. Yeah, they do. And if your kids still choose to serve God, there's something in your life. Because at the end of the day, I remember God today. I remember my responsibility. I re- not just to my kids, but there's so many kids in the city that need God. When your children come to you, verse number six, when your children come to you and ask, what are these stones about? Tell them about the time. Tell them about the time that God provided a miraculous check when you didn't have food. Tell them about the time that God opened the door for you to have a job when you didn't see there was any job. Tell them about the time that your heart was full of hurt because someone did something wrong to you and you were able to utter the words, I forgive you. Tell them about the time that God showed up in your life and it was powerful and you knew in that moment of time that your circumstances were changed. Tell them about how God allows you to get up every day and go to work and you are thankful and you have a good attitude and you know that that job provides for you and your family and for them. Tell them about that. Come on. Tell them about the goodness of God in your life. Tell them. Tell your children. But more importantly, live it in front of your kids. I, 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 you know, as we're going through this story here, Rahab just stands out in my mind. No, no one perfect. There's no one perfect. God uses all kinds of people in all kinds of ways to accomplish his purposes. But I want you to know when your heart's bent towards God, when your heart's bent towards God, your kids know. When you make it a point to get up when you don't feel like it on Sunday morning and go to church. Come on, man. I walked in here today. I look over to Keith and I said, Keith, is there like a shot they can give me for sleep? Because I like, I did it. He goes, no, that's called coffee. I said, well, I already had about four of those. I mean, you know, you don't always feel like it. But when you keep doing the right thing, when you keep speaking words of faith, when you keep forgiving people who hurt you, when you keep believing when no one else is believing around you, when you're standing in a job and everyone around is you profane and ungodly and all the stuff that goes with our generation and culture, You say, I believe in Jesus. Come on, I believe. (laughs) You tell your kids about the goodness of God in your life. And you walk that out. Because see, God, and the last thing I want you to see in verse number 24, God said he wants the whole world to know that he is powerful. He wants the whole world to know. God wants the whole world to know. God wants the whole world to know. Jesus Christ is Lord. God wants the whole world to know. I love this last verse here because it just strikes a chord in my heart. God wants everyone in the city to know. I, you know, we're getting ready to move over to 1711. It's like a five address. of 1691, 1701, 1711, 1721, 1855. All right, look at that. Numbers just, I got all five addresses already stuck in my brain. I don't know how that works. We like 1711. We like 7s and 1s, new beginnings. Number, you know, we like that. 1711 works for us. So it's 1711 to us. Okay, ready to move over there. I got up here. You know, we, we prepared this service. We, Miranda and the team and Alicia were up here last night. Michael, we're working through getting the stones and the ice cream ready and all this stuff, trying to get ready for the service today. And, and uh, 
I drive through the neighborhood after I leave, and I'm like broken for this community. Like, I mean, we've been at this location, 650 East Airport Boulevard, now for almost 11 years, just 11 years this July 4th. And I'm thinking, God, what are you doing? I mean, we're moving, we're praying for a new community. And I watched these kids running around this neighborhood, and my heart began to break. And I just felt something in me said, you know, we've had this slogan, no parishioners left behind. I want to sing. I always felt my heart, no child in this neighborhood left behind. As we're moving forward, we want to take those that are in this community that God has reached by His grace and by His power, that God has enabled us to communicate the gospel in our children's program, in our wide open church program, in our young adult program, in our celebrate recovery programs, and all of our small groups. God wants us to bring them along with us. As we're going forward, we're reaching back and we're saying, come on, God is good. And I felt this little thing in my spirit. Oh, God's not through in this neighborhood yet. God still has something for this community, for City Church. I will, God, but we're going, no, I don't know how we're going to do it. I don't know what God's going to do. God's not willing that anyone should perish. He wants the whole world to know. Every generation. Every generation. Every nation. Every tongue. So that the might hand of the Lord is powerful. And that you may always fear the Lord your God. Fear the Lord your God. (laughs) The awesomeness of God. You know what keeps you from a train wreck as a Christian today? You know what keeps you from really just... A buddy of mine called me this week and he said, Man, I was so close to just throwing my whole life away. The guy's been a Christian for 35 years. Because I was so close. There was just something inside of me knowing... If I did that, I would find the displeasure of God. Wow. When you have the fear of God, because we're prone to sin, but when you fear God more than you fear man, when you fear God more than anything else in your life, it keeps you. It keeps you from making dumb decisions. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. It's understanding. There's a holy God. The Bible says when Stephen was being stoned to death, and he looks up into heaven, and he sees the heaven part, and he says, I see someone. It looks like Jesus, the Son of God, seated at the right hand, the right hand, the all-powerful, mighty hand of God. You see, Jesus today is all-powerful. It's at the name of Jesus that the whole world will know that God is real. His power is real. His right arm is strong. That God is for you today. He's for His people today. And the way that He demonstrated it to you and I is through the cross. He did it through the cross. We honor God when we remember the power of the cross in our life. Oh, Colossians says that when sin came to destroy man, God, through His Son Jesus, by nailing Him to a cross, made an open public display of Him. You're defeated. His power is no longer able to grip your life and destroy you. (laughs) Remember the cross. And then he gives us another sign, another memorial as New Testament Christians. That's called water baptism. Immediately following this service, some of you are going to go right out to the swimming pool here and you're going to get water baptized. That water baptism represents the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that's happened in our own life. His resurrection New life, the washing away of the old and the beginning of the new. 
And he's given us a third symbol. A third symbol. And that is communion. The power of the cup. Keith is going to come this morning. I want you to close your eyes. He's going to come this morning as he leads us in communion. power of remembrance if we could put 1 Corinthians 11 up on the screen real quick and this is our key passage that talks about taking communion together and I give this as a passage which gives us specific instruction on how we're to do it and so I want to just read a couple of verses verses 24 through 26 um, before we move forward and take communion together this morning it says and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And this, this, is, this is why we do communion right here, church. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we take this wafer and we eat it representing the body that Jesus, representing Jesus' body being broken for me and for you, we are proclaiming. That word proclaiming means preaching. We are preaching to our past we are preaching to thoughts. We are preaching to our ways before God. That you know what? God has saved me. And through his brokenness, through his shedding of blood, we can be forgiven today. And he's given us clear instruction to do this in remembrance of him and to never forget. So if you could take out that first way for representing the body of Christ that was broken for us and if you are a non-believer in this place, this passage of scripture is also very clear that this is strictly for believers. To, it's a very sacred moment for us to reflect and remember. And so as, as you take out that wafer, what I want to do is just give you a moment right now where in your own words, in your own way, you can take that wafer out and consider the body of Christ that was broken for me and for you. And then once you have that moment, I'll pray in just a minute and we'll thank God and celebrate together. your body was beaten afflicted you willingly went to the cross suffered in my place and God today we declare that today we thank you for that we celebrate the victory we have not because of our our own anything that we could do but because of your grace and because of your love freedom we have in you 
because you willingly took our place on that cross. And today, God, we choose to remember and most of all, we say thanks. Thank you for your body. That was broken for me. In Jesus' name. Let's eat together, church. back that second layer this cup represents his blood and the truth is we're not here today worshiping without the shedding of the blood of Christ because this is the very thing that gave us forgiveness so if you could just take a moment and before we drink of this cup together and just consider all that God has saved you from and just thank him right where you are right now. Thank him for his blood. without blood there is no life God without the shedding of your blood God I have no life and God today we thank you God for your blood shed we're thankful God that it represents freedom for us it represents forgiveness for us God it represents God a new life that you have given us this day as we choose to trust in you God, we celebrate, God, your sacrifice, and we celebrate all that it means for us. And as you speak in Matthew 26, there will come a day where we will all feast together in heaven. God, we will all be together again, God, celebrating, God, no more pain, no more sickness. And, Father, we look forward to that day. And, God, we just want to pause right now first and say thank you for what you have done, God, for forgiving us of our past. We celebrate, God, the forgiveness of blood today. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's take together this morning. Thank you.